that fear is all made up. Don't fill in information that you don't have. You just make the best decisions you can with the information that you have at the time. I live life how I want to, and I get to play by my own rules. Be efficient at being effective. If you start thinking bigger, you start achieving bigger. Hey, everyone. Dave Men's Laundromat Millionaire coming to you from Cincinnati, Ohio with my beautiful bride, Carla. We are here today with a very different version of a guest that we a lot of times have on this show. Uh, he is an entrepreneurial expert in a lot of ways. He has a really cool story that we're going to dive into and pull out not only business lessons, but life lessons. And I have a feeling that we're going to challenge you a little bit today. Uh, I know a lot of you, that's your nature as entrepreneurs. We're not ones to just kind of sit around and and uh, twiddle our thumbs, so to speak. We like to be challenged. We like to grow. We like to hear things that kind of pull us out of our comfort zone. And I think that's what you're going to get from our guest today. Uh, so I'm excited to bring this interview to you. He is a, he is a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience, but also uh, his life story is just kind of a little bit crazy. And we'll dive into that in a minute. But Carla, do you want to introduce our guest? Yes, definitely. So today we're not talking laundromats. We're going to be talking business. So it's good for everyone. Today's guest is Patch Baker. After spending nearly 15 years serving our country as a U.S. Marine, Patch is now a serial entrepreneur, expert marketer, investor, speaker, and consultant working diligently to connect veteran and non-veteran businesses and individual patriots with brands and businesses which support our nation's war fighters. So, Patch, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate it. This is going to be a fun one. I can already tell. We always know those episodes when we talk to the guests offline and stuff. We always know the, the episodes where we might have to kind of pull the interview out of them sometimes. I have a feeling you're going to pull it out for us. <laughs> so we're excited about that. The first thing I got to ask you, man, is Pat your real name? Or is that, is that like a Marine nickname kind of thing? Or what do we got going on here? Yeah, it was a uh, call sign. Um, oh, okay. Military, so. Gotcha. Yeah. So that sticks it with just you. stuck. Yeah. And I want to say thank you for your service. Yes, truly. absolutely. I know yeah. you probably hear that all the time, but truly thank you. Because yep. that is a job that neither of us could do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We appreciate our uh, our veterans, our active active duty. Um, man, what just incredibly thankful from our family to yours. Yes. Um, our dads so were both you. veterans, but we have no military experience. Yeah. So. Yeah. People, people like you and, and, and all of your brothers and sisters doing what you guys do allows us to do what we do. And uh, I know I know we're in a day and age where sometimes people take that for granted. I never even fathom the idea that that could happen, but we're there. But it ain't happening in this household. So thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, absolutely. All right. Let's pull all this wisdom out of your brain, okay? We, we suppose that we hear you got a lot of it in there, and we want to pull these life lessons out of it. Uh, I mean, you but, guys are this bar really high. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we try to do. So you got to step up your game. Yeah. See, we're said, we're, we said we're challenging each other, Pat. I mean, we're challenging okay. you, too. You got to bring your A game on this show. All right. I'm not, I'm <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Listen, what we like to do, I told you offline, we like to start with just kind of give us a little bit of your backstory of your childhood. And when you grew up, like what made you the person that you are today? And and I'm honestly curious, what made you want to join the Marine Corps? Yeah. Well, I kind of already, uh, I always knew I wanted to be a Marine. I mean, even like as far back as kindergarten when, really, um, you know, the teachers ask you, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, uh, you know, all, all the kids were like astronaut or president or doctor, or policeman or whatever. I, I always knew I wanted to be a Marine. And, um, I, I think I was like, I was young, man. I, I've got pictures of it, but I was young. I was probably like eight or nine. And I went to this summer camp, um, military academy and I just, Loved it. I mean, uh, okay. and they were doing like really cool stuff for an eight or nine year old. I was like, we learned how to repel off of this like 12 foot wall. And I don't know, we got to go to this, um, we got to go see this color guard. And I, I, I don't remember it really well, but I'm, I'm thinking it was like the, um, veterans association or something. And they did this little color guard thing. And I was like, just, it just captured me. Like I, I was all in. And then I went to a uh, military academy when I was 13 and I joined the, um, I joined the Marine Corps when I was 17. 
And so um, I just kind of always knew that. But the crazy thing is uh, I was just talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago and I, I said it, I mean, I, I said it in a way that it made sense in the conversation, but I actually really grew up in the Marine Corps. Like I, I, I grew up in the military world in those impressionable years where, you know, 13 to 22, maybe that's where you kind of really mm, those formative you know, years. Yeah. You know, it's like those years have really a high impact on what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Most of mm -hmm. the time. Were your and parents in the military? My dad was. And then okay. um, I, I have a bunch of family members that were all in the Marine Corps. So okay. um, my brother did want to really irritate my dad. So he joined the Navy. He's <laughs> <laughs> um, the only one that I know of. Um, but um, yeah, I, I always knew that I wanted to be in the Marine Corps. And then when I finally got there, I just kind of already knew the game. Like I did fairly well in boot camp because I already knew from, you know, military academy, I already knew how to march in formation. I already knew like a lot of facing. So you didn't have that like wide-eyed culture shock that the stereotype of the boot camp environment? No, because like boot camp is all a game. Right. You know, it's just one big game. Mm -hmm. And luckily I knew the rules of the game and I, I was able to – and I was already good at push-ups. I was already good at pull-ups. I was already good at, at some of the things that really hurt, um, not hurt, but really messed with the brain of mm -hmm. some of the other recruits at the yep. time. And, um, you know, I was able to focus on the things that I didn't know when everybody else was over at the pull-up bar trying to knock out 20. Figure out how to pull up. Okay. You know, so it, I, I just knew how to play the game. And, and that was fun. Um, I didn't have a terrible time in boot camp. Lots of people have, you know, terrible stories mm -hmm. of boot camp, and I didn't really have that hard of a time. I actually, uh, my, I would never tell my drill instructors this, but I actually had a pretty good time. I mean, I was doing what I wanted to do for a long time, and I just felt a lot of honor in it, and I felt like I was, I, I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. So. Your boot camp was like your childhood summer camp, it sounds like. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> you definitely so wouldn't say that to your drill sergeant. <laughs> or no. he would make it more like hell, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, some of it was just, I mean, they, they tax your body. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's a lot of that going on. But it's what I always knew I was I wanted to do and, you know. So I want to ask you a little bit about your military career and some of the lessons that you absorbed from that and then how that transitions into entrepreneurship. But if it's okay, I want to do something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. I was completely enthralled by the opening copy to your website. Mm -hmm. um, can I read that? Yeah. Will that be okay? All right. Yeah. So guys, if you go to patchbaker.com, that's, uh, that's Patch's website. And you're going to see all the different services he offered, the coaching that he does, and the the life story that he has. But when we were uh, when we we're researching to see if he'd be a good fit for the show, I pulled up his website, and within two minutes, I was like, "Yeah, we got to have this guy on." <laughs> um, and so I'll see if I can do this justice. But I'm just going to read a few sentences here from his website. I'm standing in the sunshine on a calm, cloudless day in January 2013. A slight breeze is blowing. The sky is blue and never-ending. I'm keenly aware of my surroundings, standing with a group of friends who would give me the shirts off their back, share a bottle of Jack, or lay down their lives for me. I'm honored to be standing there. I'm proud of my accomplishments. I look around and take a breath. And then I get shot in the chest. The bullet hits me before I hear the shot. Time slows down. My ears start to play tricks on me. The shot seems to echo 42 times in the strangest pattern. No rhythm, all random. I'm just not sure what to do with that patch, if I'm honest. That's, uh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. I, I would guess that was probably the first time you'd been shot. I don't know. Walk us through that. What, what, what was that situation like for you? And just, just walk us through. I mean, were you, were there other times in your career that you were shot? I mean, that's a, that I've, I've, I guess what I'm getting at is I've met people that have never uh, shot a gun in their lives. And at the first time they shoot a gun, not being shot, but just shooting a gun. Um, 
it kind of takes their breath away. Like they just, it's just, when you, when you it's grow loud. up shooting guns, you just, yeah, it's just, it just kind of shake, you know, rattles your cage for a minute mm-hmm. to, to throw yourself on the other side of it definitely isn't fair. Um, but I would imagine it had to be that times like a hundred, uh, being shot. Yeah. I really didn't even know what happened to be honest with you. I mean, it just was, it's like, it's like if you were to take a, a phone book and you put it on your chest and then you tape a baseball bat or a baseball to it. And then you take a baseball bat and you give it to like Jose Canseco or Martin McGuire or yeah. <laughs> Willie Mays or so, you know, Babe Ruth. And you just let them crank on that ball. That that's what it <laughs> feels like. Um, yeah, I mean, it sucked. It, it definitely sucked, but. Um, so you had a vest on, right? Yeah. Okay. It didn't, it didn't actually penetrate skin, but okay. that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've never been shot, but yeah, yeah. I've heard, I mean, I've heard the stories of that. I mean, do you just lay there on the ground, like trying to figure out, am I dead or alive? Um, you said you didn't even know what happened. Did you even know you had been shot? Uh, like does training prepare you for like that feeling? No. No. Okay. <laughs> no, not even kind of. I wasn't sure if, like, in training, they're like, "Hey, if this ever happens, you've been shot." Like, in I, training, I they put the baseball on you, <laughs> right? Give it to Babe Ruth. This you know, is what it's gonna feel like. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, I was. I was just as you asked me that. I was trying to think about, you know, when, and it's been a long time ago now. But um, I, I just remember. I mean, it definitely knocked me over. I mean, I was not a. I mean, it definitely knocked me over. I, I just wasn't expecting it. Sure. <laughs> it happened fairly uh, close. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't too terribly far away. It was probably, I don't know, 50 feet maybe. Um, but basically, you just walk around the corner of the building. And uh, I was standing on the side of a doorway. So there, there was somebody to my left and I was standing on the right. And we were waiting for somebody to come out of the building that we were going to escort to the vehicles. And the crazy thing is there was the the person beside me, the bullet went past them in between them and the wall and hit me. Wow. Oh. So it was weird how, I mean, I, I just, it had to miss him by inches. I mean, there wasn't yeah. me. <laughs> I, anyway. Um, so it's probably actually a bad shot, meaning they weren't they weren't targeting you. Is that what you're saying? I don't know. I mean, okay. like I said, it happened so quick. I, right. I don't really know how that how that worked. But hmm. um, did yeah. you all did you all come under like ambush after that, or was was that just no. a single shot? Or uh, no, it was just a single person. Oh. Um, but uh, the rest of the team handled. Handle. Took care of it. Right. Got it. <laughs> Enough said. All right. We got it. All right. So, so during your 15 years, how much of that time were you, I assume you were in, were you in Afghanistan? I did you, Iraq. Or in Iraq? Okay. How much of your time in the military were you overseas? Oh, a lot. A lot. Okay. Um, but we, um, so the, the way that we did it um, for, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people were doing this where they were switching units um, in between uh, deployments. So it's like, you know, you do it the way the mil- the way the Marine Corps, I can only speak about the Marine Corps, but um, the way the Marine Corps does it is you're typically at a duty station for like three years. But the problem is, let's say you're, you're coming up on two year mark and you deploy. And then when you get back, you got to change units. They're on the rotation to take off again <laughs> so you know what you don't get to stay on your rotation you go on their rotation <laughs> um, and gotcha. then, yeah so it, it was crazy though um the funny thing is at the time um it almost felt like i was it's almost just felt like that was another day in the office i mean it's not in the office but right. I mean, I know several people and I've had several conversations with other veterans that were like, at some point, you just kind of chalk it up that you're not going to make it back. And you just, you know, you you're in enough squirrely situations that you're like, you just kind of. Um, yeah, you walk into combat every day for X amount of years. The odds just aren't in your favor. And you're, yeah, you're smart enough to understand that. 
Are you renovating your store or building a new one? Tired of persistent and expensive plumbing issues like I was? Get an HM Company drain trough to give those drain lines a fighting chance against the constant wear and tear of laundromat life. Sizing is fully customizable to meet your needs and lead times are a maximum of two weeks. I've used them in my stores in Cincinnati for years and I'm installing them in my new store which is opening soon. Visit their website today at draintroughs.com and contact your distributor to order your drain trough today. I don't want to say skills, but it gives you an emotional stability in situations. Like, for example, in business, uh, a lesson that you can uh, extract from there. In business is, business sucks sometimes. Like, just, just don't go your way. And sometimes... You know, the building doesn't, you know, the the property doesn't close on time or the loan doesn't come through on time or the big client you have doesn't pay on time or, you know, like just crazy stuff happens. But with a lot of veterans, uh, you know, talk about this openly. Nobody's shooting at us. Like, <laughs> this is easy because nobody's shooting at you. Things ain't blowing up. And so it just gives you a. a uh, emotional, it gives you more ability to control your emotions. And a, a second thing of that is compartmentalizing information. Um, it's really hard for military members um, to go overseas and have one mentality. Yeah. With, you know, especially for the Marine Corps, um, you know, it's locate, close with, and destroy the enemy by use of fire and maneuver. That's pretty clear, mm. right? You're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. You can go anywhere in the world and do anything that we need you to do overnight, right? Well, you get years and years and years and years and years and years of being told that and being mm. expected to perform at that level. And then, oh, by the way, today you're a civilian, <laughs> right? Or today you're back at, you know, you're back stateside and you got to, you got to calm all that stuff down. And it's kind of crazy to me, the world that we live in today is, you know, I'm not excusing bad behavior by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I understand some behavior that in society it's deemed to be inappropriate, but that does not mean that we don't try to capitalize on those things too. I'll give you a great example, and I'm not going to name names, but you infer what you'd like. There is a certain level of testosterone and manliness and um, so, uh, professional footballs, uh, fo uh, professional football players' aggressiveness on the field that we mm -hmm. applaud and we enjoy. And man, that guy can carry half the team down the field. And we applaud that stuff and we pay those guys millions of dollars. But that, internal drive that's making that happen, the internal ability for somebody to keep driving forward, even when there's people, you know, on their back and trying to tackle them and whatever, you take that guy on Sunday and he's awesome for being so aggressive. And then he gets mm -hmm. into a bar fight, knocks somebody out and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. It's time to go to jail. And the same thing happens to our veterans, you know, especially our active duty guys. Like, you can't go to war and be, you know, a hundred percent aggressive for six months, eight months, a year, 14 months, whatever it is. And then come back and release those guys out to go to the pool. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. and I'm not saying that they need to be incarcerated. I'm yeah, just but some kind of transition there. there some be. type of. Well, you're, Patch, did I pick up on a little bit that you're not even talking about civilian life. You're talking about uh, being in a combat situation. And then, and then coming, let's, let's call it back stateside or home and then being in a non-combat situation. Is it's that, wrong. is that what you're referring? You're not referring to getting out of the military, which is a whole different conversation. I would imagine you're yeah. talking about combat for six months. You're, you're a trained killer. Come back home. You're still a trained killer, but you don't, you don't kill. That's not like. But be nice to everybody. Right. Be, be nice and be a good citizen and all that stuff. You can't even be aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like you can't, you know. 
what how think about the mental thing that has to happen for you to be like I can take on the world mm-hmm. <laughs> to or I'm willing to die that's a whole different level right yeah exactly and you know please and thank you and hold the door for everybody and don't get into that when somebody at the bar gets all squirrely just turn the other cheek and right. walk away like you you can't have that both ways and mentally there's a lot of things that happen to veterans that really mess them up mm-hmm. unless they really get good at compartmentalizing information and being able to say, okay, in this situation, I'm not thinking about these things. And in this situation, I'm not thinking about these things. We have certain things in the military where we say, you know, complacency kills and the way that mm-hmm. you become complacent is if you're standing in one place too long and you're not scanning your zones. Um, and doing the same thing every day, same time, same routine, you fall on, you know, when you fall into a routine, then the enemy can adapt to that routine. You act the same way, you walk the same way, you go the same routes, you go, whatever you become complacent. Well, the same thing (laughs) translates to business too. Mm -hmm. The funny thing of it, or the ironic thing of it is civilians do it too. Even if they've got no military experience, they do it too. And they hold themselves back, which is crazy. You can't get out of your own way. And (laughs) this, this is a really following one. So let's just say you two are sitting at home one night. Dave goes, Hey, I'm going to run to the grocery store. Do you need anything? Nope. I'm all good. And then he doesn't come back for like three hours. And you start texting and you start calling and it should have been, I mean, maybe you even call after 30 minutes, whatever, whatever time frame it is, but you organically and naturally by yourself start filling in all the bad things that could happen. It's never the good things. You're never like, oh, well, maybe they ran into somebody at the store and maybe he's out buying me a present. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happens like that. And no. <laughs> so it's one of the things that I learned in the military was, look, don't fill in, don't fill in information that you don't have mm. because you, we naturally infer or lean towards the negative. And unfortunately. And that's never helpful. It's never helpful. Like ever. What's well, interesting that you bring that up from that context. I've never thought about it like that. But, you know, when we talk about people that either. Uh, have entrepreneurial tendencies and want to become business owners and entrepreneurs, but never take the leap. I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that that's, it's probably in their head. You know, most of the time it's the, well, what if I go bankrupt and what if I lose my house and I can't support my kids? And for some reason, we, we, we don't ever process that information the same way and say, what if I become a millionaire or like, yeah. what if I hit it big? And what if, yeah. you know, what if I can help a bunch of people because of all this money I make and the impact that my business would have on the community? Those, I mean, those, do you think we're just wired that way? What have you learned? What what lessons yeah. have you learned about like the human psyche or have you um, yeah. about why we process things that way? So the crazy thing is uh, you're you said it very eloquently, but that's all people put that as label of fear. Right. I got a fear of going okay. on stage. I got a fear of, you know, putting myself out there. I got a fear of getting on video. I got a fear of talking to these bankers. You know, I got a fear mm-hmm. of whatever. But. That fear is all made up. It's all bullshit. And as a matter of fact, I would go so far to say that fear is not actually a real thing. And I know that's controversial to say because there's probably I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist or any (laughs) of that kind of stuff. And I'm sure there's somebody out there to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that is a real thing. But actually, it's not. And here and I think we can prove it. Pretty easily. So, like, let's think of some things that people have fears of. Snakes. Spiders. Spiders. <laughs> heights. Failure. Uh, failure. I think that's a lot for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so let's just, let's just walk through this real quick. There are scientists and veterinarians and people like that that deal with snakes and spiders all the time. Does that mean that they, they, won't get bitten or stung or whatever spiders do. Does that mean that? No. But does it also mean that they 
probably have special equipment. They have uh, experience dealing with those things. They, they're they doing it for the greater good. I saw a video on YouTube. This guy it bit, bit like 6,000 times or something, but it didn't affect him anymore because he was injecting venom in himself every day to build a tolerance <laughs> and like wow. crazy stuff. Um, but there are people out there that, you know, let's say uh, fear of heights. There's people that work on skyscrapers. There's people that, mm-hmm. you know, work on cell towers. There's people that jump out of perfectly good airplanes for fun, right? <laughs> like there's skydivers. There's all kinds of people. So, so what does fear basically come down to? In my opinion, and again, I agree that this is opinion and it's subjective, but in my opinion, it's fear is only lack of education, experience, or exposure. That's the only thing that mm-hmm. it is. Now, that is different than understanding reality. Like, for example, somebody asked me, well, uh, don't you teach your kids to look both ways before they cross the road because you have a fear that if they run on the road and they get hit, that they'll get hurt? No, that's understanding reality. If a 2,000-pound car hits my child, my child's not going to win. That's understanding reality. That's not a fear. Mm-hmm. The reality is you going on stage, there's people that are scared of that, mm-hmm. right? But, or going even on a podcast. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. The more you do it, mm-hmm. there are people out there that do it for a living. The more you do it, the more education. How do I deliver this message? So go get a consultant. Go take a course. Like how do you talk? How do you construct a message? How do you, and the more you practice it, the better you're going to get, the more stages you go on, the more podcasts you go on, the better you're going to be at it. And then you can just flow like we're doing now where we can just kind of, we, there's no real script here. We're just kind of free flow in a conversation. The more you do it with anything, the more business deals you do, the more sales you do, the more sales consulting you do, the more training you do for your salespeople, the more advertising, the more marketing, the more videos, the more whatever, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And therefore fear is pretty much all made up unless you're stating reality, right? I don't have a fear of the subway, but I know if I touch the top of the wire, like (laughs) that's, it's going to kill me. Like I know that or the third rail or whatever. So understanding reality is one thing, but the reality that we make up in our head of you know, the negative stuff, the things that we fill in are all negative. If you can identify that, then it's fairly easy for you to be like, you know what? Let me make this video and send it to three people and see what they say. Yeah, it's not that bad. Okay, great. Let's put it out on social or do whatever. But there, sometimes we get, um, we lean on people that we care about to give us advice and the Mm. problem or that Mm. care about us. But the problem with that is, is that they don't know how to do it either (laughs) because if they knew how to do it, even if you were terrible at it, they would say, yeah, let me show you how to do it better. I was talking to a girl, this happened a couple of years ago, but I like using this, um, this analogy because it, it, it cements everything. This lady uh, came to me. I had I had a uh, distribution network and she came to me and she said, hey, I make this product and I'd like to see if we can get it out. And she didn't have any money. And how I was doing it was I actually got paid for doing this. So I said, hey, well, why don't we just team up on this and we'll partner up on it. And, you know, if I get X amount, then, you know, you pay me X amount. And she was like, yeah, no problem. And we started talking about it. I said, well, why don't we just partner on the whole business? She was like, yeah. I said, I'll take care of the marketing part. You take care of building the product and it'll be easy for both of us. She said, okay. I'd like to talk to my mom about it. I said, okay, great. What does your mom do? She said, oh, she's a stay-at-home mom. So she's never done a business deal in her life. And you're going to go ask her for advice on a business deal. She said, yeah, yeah. Mm. We're close. Okay, no problem. Well, what do you think your mom told her to do? Don't give up half your business. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. No problem. So the problem with that I had was I thought this deal was already going through. So I went out and told people. So now they're expecting to get delivered this product. So I had to jump through hoops and I found a replacement product. Well, that product ended up going 
really, really well. And the uh, distributors were really, really happy. And I ended up partnering on that deal and it, it worked out really well. <laughs> um, but the crazy thing is that her mom did not mean to do that to her. Mm -hmm. Her mom was trying to take the safe road. And the mm -hmm. safe road is protect my baby. Don't let her do things that she's not experienced with the same way that she probably did as a kid, right? Mm -hmm. And I think our parents really do jack us up in ways. Here's an example. You know, you see your kid climbing on something and you say, hey, don't climb on that. You'll fall and get hurt. Mm -hmm. You are literally setting them up for years and years and years of struggle when they get older. A better way to do that would be like, hey, if you're going to climb on that, you better make sure you got a good holding that you you know that you're hanging on tight. Let me explain to you what happens. There's this thing called gravity, and if you let go, <laughs> you're going to fall. So mm -hmm. hang on tight. Like that is a much better lesson. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the people that care about us the most give us the worst lessons. They mm -hmm. tell us these little ninja splinters that get in our brain and we remember those things for a long time, even subconsciously. And then we don't ever take a risk, right? And here's the thing. Every date you've ever been on was a risk. And do you know what the scariest thing in life should be? In my opinion. Getting shot in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> no. Only if you're not a Marine. <laughs> not even close. So, if you live on planet Earth, the scariest thing, the thing most likely to hurt you and kill you is riding in a car. Mm -hmm. So why is it if that's the I mean, statistically, that is the most dangerous thing you do in your life. You tip most people do it at least a couple of times a week, even during COVID times, at least a couple of times a week you get in a car. So why is it that we're not like white knuckled, like scared to death, wide eyed the whole time that we're in a car? It's because we have education, experience, exposure. We understand the ramifications of what happens. And then we hear it so much that we just disregard the risk. But if we were doing, if we were comparing business to riding in a car, to driving a car, riding in a car, whatever, you should be much, you should be doing like way more checklists on taking that vehicle on the road. Like, does everybody walk around and check all the air pressure and the oil and all this stuff? No, in the military you do, right? But normal people don't do that. You're not doing route plans prior to you going somewhere. As a matter of fact, we get in our car now and, and grab this little thing and we'll go cross country, never knowing, <laughs> like never bending, been to a place before. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's kind of crazy to me. We do mitigate risk in cars by law. Now you have to wear a seatbelt, but it, before that, nobody wore a seatbelt. I remember riding in the back window of the mm -hmm. car when me I was too. No? Oh yeah. Me too. So, Let me ask you this patch. Yeah. So how do we balance those two things? Because one of the things I've learned as an entrepreneur over the last you know decade and a half or whatever it's been is that there's a balance, right? There's a balance between having enough education, enough knowledge, uh, the right network, the right mentors, the right coaches, maybe even the right opportunity. Mm -hmm. There's a balance between that, but then you also know that any entrepreneur on planet Earth with a brain will tell you, you'll learn way more by getting in the game. Oh, for you, sure. You get in the game, but you, but you also don't, you don't jump in the game without any information, without so, a coach, without a mentor, without knowledge, without a, you know, in the corporate world, they call it a degree, but I mean, without that education, right? So yeah. what's the, what's the balance for an entrepreneur? Cause I don't, you know, and I don't know that you have the answer either. I'm just curious your opinion. What's the balance between like, I have enough training, let's call it to get in the game to to not crash and burn, to be able to mitigate my risk, and to be able to be successful. You're probably not going to like this answer, oh, but I don't. It's the truth. I love it. <laughs> I, I don't like the idea of balance. Right? People talk mm -hmm. about balancing knowledge versus you know actions, and people balancing work life and home life. Mm -hmm. I think that is a hundred percent bullshit, and I'll mm -hmm. tell you why. Because 
the only way that we can balance is just for visual for anybody listening on audio. It's a seesaw, right? We're trying to balance, right? So that means that if I do more in work, I'm taking away from my family. Mm-hmm. If I do something that I don't know how to do, I'm increasing my risk exponentially. And that's mm-hmm. actually not true, right? That That is not true in my opinion. So I would rather think about it like, hey, I work and I have a family. Those things are all part of my life. How mm-hmm. do I navigate? How do I weave between all those things to where everybody's being served in a way that they need to in order to be happy and healthy and taken care of and Mm -hmm. whatever? Does that mean that I never miss time with my family? No. Does that mean that the time that I miss away from my family that I have to do something that takes care of them? No. Does that mean that when I'm with my family, I'm immediately robbing from my business? No. Those those things are not true. Mm-hmm. What is true is that if you're going to do anything in life, and I don't know why we complicate it when we make it business, because we don't need to. We, mm-hmm. we put this barrier here, but let's just say, Dave, let's just say that you don't play the game of chess, but you want to learn. What are you going to do? Are you going to not invest the $9 to go get a chess set so that you can start messing with it? Or are you going to only watch YouTube videos or are you only going to talk to other people that, you know, play chess and say, how's the best way to get started? Are you only, no, you're going to do all of those things. You're going to go buy a chess set. You're going to watch YouTube videos. You're going to try to find people that also play chess and try to learn how to mimic them and try to learn their strategies and try to learn. But eventually you have to take the step of setting up the chess board. And then you have to take the step of inviting your next door neighbor over and saying, hey, we play a game of chess with me. Look, it doesn't mean that we have to invest our entire life savings on a gold plated chess set day one. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is anything that you would naturally do in life. I taught myself how to play the guitar. I learned off of YouTube. I watched people that explained it in a way that I understood it. And then I just started strumming. And one day it actually sounded like the song that I was trying to play. And then I caught this bug and I was doing it every waking minute that I wasn't doing something else. I was playing with my guitar. And then I'm sure. No, I get that. I I think you would agree though, that there's a difference in if you play a wrong note, then like nobody's going to die, right? Like you right. wouldn't bring you wouldn't bring up. I guess I'm looking for a little context here. You wouldn't bring a marine into boot camp and send him to Iraq day one, uh, right? He would get happen. training. Well, no, he well, gets, in a perfect world, I mean, yeah, yeah. he gets training. But I mean, I, I've I've been overseas with 19 year old, 18, 19 year old guys that had already gone through you know boot camp and SOI and then mm-hmm. their school and they're over there like right away, right. Yes, a hundred percent. I agree, but that—that's not the—that's not the stakes, right? And right. we're comparing that to business. That's not the stakes. And but, well, and the, I see. I guess I see it as the marine side of it is one side of the equation, and then like the ch- or, or the process, and then like playing chess is another. That's like marine, like combat's life and death. You know, if you play the wrong note on a guitar and and entrepreneurship probably falls somewhere in the middle where like you could lose your home, you could lose your, I guess what I'm saying is as as someone that does like consulting and coaching, how do you, how do you balance that when somebody comes to you and says like, how, how, you know, people say, because I do coaching too, people say, how do I know when I'm ready? And I always say like, you're never ready, but there comes a point where you have to jump. But I also wouldn't recommend that you jump when you're five. Like I wrote right. an article. <laughs> yeah, I wrote an article that um, got a lot of. You know, you write a good article when you got people on both sides of the argument just mm-hmm. screaming at each other. But yep. I wrote an article that was um, that said that building a business is just as hard as combat. And you wrote this, yeah. And the analogy is, um, you, you can look it up on uh, LinkedIn. It's uh, okay. in there, but um, I can so, see why that would get people's attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, nobody wants to talk about the reality, but the reality is 
you know, when you're planning a, a military operation, there's a thing that we call acceptable loss. And nobody wants to talk about this at the dinner table, but how many military members am I going to give up to go take that hill? There's a number on that line, mm-hmm. right? And if, you know, maybe we're willing to give up two, maybe we're willing to give up 10 or 1,000 mm-hmm. or 10,000. Like at some point, there is a limit that we're like, okay, the expense is too great. But it's a true thing. Nobody wants to talk about it, but mm-hmm. there are, you know, th- there's a there's a line for acceptable loss. Well, the same thing is true in business. There's a line for how much money I'm going to give up. But here's the thing. In in war, lives are on the line, mm-hmm. and I believe there'd be far fewer business failures if we put livelihoods on that same line, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's people that can't that that work for you that they have mouths to feed, right? They have electricity bills to pay, they have house bills to pay, they've got insurance bills to pay, and if we put them on the same level and we said, hey, lives and livelihoods are the same, mm-hmm. like. People would treat business differently. Mm-hmm. People would not have a hobby of doing, you know, wow. home. they would they would actually I hope everybody just heard that. I hope everybody just heard that. You know, I've said for years, Patch, that that I really believe I'm not particularly great at much. But man, I've wanted to own my own business since I was a kid, just like you wanted to be a Marine. And when I got that business, there wasn't anything gonna stop me. Include, I mean, death was the only thing that's going to stop me. I was never going to quit. If I had to work in my business to grow it for 20 years and work my tail off and never see any fruits of that labor, I was going to keep going that 21st year. There, there was nothing like, and now I say, I didn't really know how to process it back then. Now I say like, it's not what I do. It's who I am. And one of the things that I see in business and entrepreneurship is I think what you just hit on and it's people get into it that are kind of dipping their toes. Exactly. Like you can't you can't kind of be a soldier, and maybe that's a bad analogy because that's not my world. But you can't. I, I tell people all the time. I'm like you, like you're either willing to do this until until you reach your goals or death or whatever that. Like this is who I am. This is my life. This is what I am always going to do. Maybe I'll interchange this product for that product. Maybe I'll sell this business and go into this business. But I'm still in the entrepreneurial game. Yeah, and I, that's kind of what I hear you saying, and I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard too many people say it in that way. Yeah, just, and just kind of sidestepping. So I know I'm sitting back and kind of listening to you all. You all are both very entrepreneurial. I just married an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. She's not. Um, yep. <laughs> I'm a former teacher, um, but kind of what I'm gathering from all of this, kind of going full circle. And earlier in this podcast, you were talking about fear, and basically, fear is just a lack of education, experience, and exposure. And I see this almost tying to what you all are talking about with business with instead of, let's replace the word fear maybe with risk. And like how you said, you can mitigate fear with those three things. You can mitigate risk with those three things. Because I think back to when Dave was just starting a business, you know, how do you mitigate the risk or the fear of going into business? Well, you do education. So, you know, he read like crazy. You watch podcasts like you starting playing the guitar. So by more education, that lowers your risk because now you know more what you're doing. Um, Exposure. Maybe you befriend other Um, business owners, or you work in a business first before you try to own that business or whatever. So that kind of goes with education and all that. Um, And then finally, you just got to make that jump and get some experience and you're going to learn a lot from that experience. So kind of for me, listening to you all kind of coming full circle, turning that into not just a fear discussion, but a business discussion, how you mitigate that risk that risk lowers every time you do that education experience and exposure. So that's just my, yeah, for sure. And, and you can keep, you can keep running that analogy for a long way because there's other things like, do you believe that Dave, do you believe that now that you've been in business, you've been successful in most people's eyes, you've been, you know, you've hit a, a certain level of success. Do you believe that if you started another business that, it would be easier than the first one you built. No doubt. No doubt. Right. So close. every single time that you failed in the past, you learn something from it and you probably learned at a fast, you learned at a faster rate when you failed than you did when you succeeded. Mm -hmm. And here's the crazy thing about that is I know people who 
were successful at one thing. They tried to do something else and failed. 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 And the problem with that is they didn't realize that they got lucky the first time. Mm. Right? Because everything was easy and it just all happened for them like Mm. overnight. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a big, bad business person. But Mm -hmm. really, they didn't – they're not even educated enough to know – that the first time was just luck. It was product placement or is the, you know, the market for that particular area or time or whatever. But I, and I wrote another article, sorry. I wrote another article this called turning your luck into skill and really being able to identify when you got lucky with things and being okay that you got lucky. Mm-hmm. But how do you set up a system or a process behind that to turn the luck into skill and actually get that repeatable thing? And it's one of the things that you talk about um, regularly is like there's a system to get a known out outcome. Like if you do these normal things in business, you're going to be successful at some level. Mm-hmm. Then it kind of depends on your business savvy. And let's just, let's just call it what it is. Not everybody that owns a business should be a business owner. hundred mm-hmm. percent agree. The, the, the barrier to, in, to entry to become a CEO is you don't even need an LLC these days. You can go down mm-hmm. to your town hall for 25 bucks and get a business license. Mm-hmm. And now you're a CEO, right? But yep. but in the there's there are certain fundamental things in business that you have to have. You have to have a product or a service. You have to get other people to understand, to know that you provide the product or service. You need sales. Your expenses got to be lower than your than your sales. That's every business that literally every single business out there needs those things. So if you can apply those knowns over and over and over again, and you actually understand how to do sales, how to acquire property, how to whatever, whatever we're talking about, it gets easier and easier and easier. And the more you've been around the game, the more different scenarios you've seen. But here's the cool thing. If you do that and you get the education experience and exposure, you can start doing bigger deals that don't feel like they're really bigger deals. Mm. You just probably even deals that if you had seen that deal 10 years ago, you would have been like, that deal's way over my head. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, all right, well, we got this deal coming up. These are the pros and the cons. What do you guys think? Like, it's just another day. You just described our, our entrepreneurial journey. We bought yeah. our first rundown dumpy laundromat that was losing money for 80 grand. Yeah. And within six months, you know, turned it around. It was making a little money, not a lot, but a little. Now we're literally right now as we speak, we're, we're building a $2 million laundromat. Um, that, that would terrify a lot of people. Uh, if we were building a $20 million laundromat, I don't know if there's such a thing, but that might terrify <laughs> me. You're <laughs> <laughs> doing a $20 million acquisition of a, right. of a group of laundromats. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. But do you think that that deal would really be so overwhelming to you that you No, wouldn't? I know my industry so well. If I were in another industry, it might get me a little. Yeah. But guess what? If you did that one or two times, you mm-hmm. could go brand new and it wouldn't matter. Yep. I think so. We talked about your military experience, but for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about your business experience? Because it's obvious you have some. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So I started out marketing. Um, I joke about this, but I had to build a business because I couldn't fit in with the businesses that I was trying to work for. You're not Um, a good employee. (laughs) Me neither. I say all the time, I'm unemployable. (laughs) The crazy thing about the military is you know everything about everything you do. You know, there's a there's a technical manual on the wall. Whether you want to drive a tank or fly a plane or put on your uniform or standard formation or whatever, there's a book on the wall. There's also this peer group, you know, you can other people that are the same rank as you, you can be like, hey, how do we do this again? And they'll show you. And then there's people one step above you that say, Hey, go do this. And then there's people a couple steps above you. You say, hey, I'm, I tried these three things. I don't know how to get this thing to work. And they're like, oh, it's like this and this and this. But when you leave the military, there's you don't have that. And when you're working your own business, you don't have that. And so I became very 
um, needy of those things. And it, it happened because that's how they taught me to do it. Right. And I, I became um, reliant on having all those different areas to, to really learn new things. And then when you get out into the civilian world, which this HR lady told me one time was the real world, like <laughs> no, it's not the real world, but been like you were playing a video game or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but she told me, uh, so when I, when I got out and I started working for civilian companies, I just did not fit in. I, I didn't understand how it worked and everybody was just kind of, we call it lollygagging. They were, nobody had any, was move, was nobody was moving with any kind of purpose, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, I just, I didn't like it. I didn't love it. I didn't feel good about it. And, um, so I wanted to build a company that was under my rules. The subconscious part of that was I wanted to build it like the military, right? I wanted to build it. <laughs> Um, where it made sense to me and I could thrive in my own skin and be exactly who I am and not have to fake it. And so I went and built a a marketing company and that marketing company did really, really well uh, and really fast. And then we started basically using that marketing company to build our own products and our own businesses. And, and so it's been, it's been pretty crazy. We've been, um, you know, I've acquired a bunch of companies and I've um, partnered with a bunch of companies and just really been able to grow it into something that I feel good about, um, you know, my team feels good about, and um, we're playing by our own rules. And I think that's what, you know, if you ask what real freedom is, it's not money, you know, it's not, money's just a tool. But when you talk about like, what's real freedom, look, I live life how I want to. And I get to play by my own rules. And if you don't like my rules, I'd just go find somebody else to play the game with, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to play checkers and I want to play chess, I'll go find another chess mm-hmm. player. I say all the time, the beauty to business ownership and entrepreneurship is nobody can tell you what your business is or isn't. I mean, I guess the laws can to a certain extent. But short of that, as long as you're in the parameters of society, um, you know, you can do what you want to do. If you want to get up every day and do nothing, you can. Uh, you're going to. You're going to reap the consequences of that. If you want to, you know, stay up for six days straight and grind like not too many people do, you're going to most likely reap the the rewards of that. Um, And that's all I've ever asked for in life. Like I've always said, just all I've ever wanted in life was opportunity. And that's what attracted me to entrepreneurship is I was like, nobody can tell me what I can and can't do. I can do as much as I'm capable of and the things I'm not capable of, I can learn how to and then become capable. I think that's why I fell in love with entrepreneurship. And it's so funny because I always see a lot of people come into entrepreneurship from what I call corporate structure. And they try to make entrepreneurship fit into this like box. And I'm like, no, 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 you're missing the point of entrepreneurship. Right. Like entrepreneurship can be what you want it to be. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to tell you what that is. The negative to that is nobody's going to come and tell you what that is either. <laughs> like you got to figure that out. You got to be disciplined enough and self-driven enough, motivated enough to go make that happen. Yeah. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to comment on a, a, something that you said earlier. You said, come hell or hot water. You know, I'm, I was going to win. I was, I was going to make entrepreneurship work, whether it was, you know, 20 years, 21 years, whatever, whatever it took. Could you have gotten there a little bit faster if you had a little more help and a bigger team? And yeah, you probably could have. If you won the lottery, could you have gotten there a lot faster? Yeah, you probably could have. If you, you know, hired a $300,000 a year consultant in your first year, could you have gotten there faster? Yeah, you probably could have. Does any of that matter now? Nope. You just make the best decisions you can with the information that you have at the time. And as you get more information, as you go through the, the, the construct of business and the application of business day over day over day, you get more data and you adjust your actions as you get more data. It also ties to what you were saying before about that acceptable loss level. I know yeah. a lot of our growth, maybe not being as fast as it could be, is that it was not, yes, He was going to do everything he could to make his business successful, but an acceptable loss was not his family sacrificing their lifestyle, you know, so he still worked um, a full 40 hour week, full time job 
and then did the business on top of that Mm -hmm. because, but if he had been working full-time in the business, yes, it would have grown faster, but it was not an acceptable level of loss for his family to suffer. So we had to make Mm -hmm. sure that we still had that same level of income while he was starting this business. So I think it just all ties together. Well, to take that a step further, there was, you know, I I don't know how much you know about our story patch, but five years into our entrepreneurial journey, I did quit my job. Mm-hmm. And it was a union job. I didn't go to college. I mean, I couldn't yeah. get this job back and I wasn't going to make that money anywhere else. And so when I when I left, I really went, I mean, I was all out. And that was when our business went to another level. And yeah. so I, that's why I was asking by that word like balance earlier um, is is how how do how do how do entrepreneurs and business owners kind of mitigate their risk? How do they balance those things? And I think what it boils down to is my answer today is it's a it's a it's truly a balance of everything we just said or a combination. Maybe balance isn't the right word. It's yeah. a combination of everything we just said in there. If I were single, then mm-hmm. living under a bridge would be worst case scenario and not that I would want to do it, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. As a dad and a husband, I'm not willing to let my family live under a bridge. So the acceptable was an acceptable loss. Yes. Ours was not. Correct. (laughs) And I think we all as entrepreneurs, just talking to our audience today, we all have to just figure out what is that acceptable loss and is it worth it? Is taking that hill worth a thousand men? The answer may be yes, as as you mentioned. As much as we may not want to admit that, Um, and I'll give you another quick example that really gets me to my core all the time, and it's just real life in our situation is our our youngest boy, Raiden, was three weeks old when we bought our first laundromat, and I basically missed the first four years of his life. Now, it wasn't by accident. Me and, my, and, I, and I didn't like it. I don't like it now. I don't say it with pride. <laughs> I say it with embarrassment, to be honest. But it was it was and it, it was an acceptable loss. Um, but I knew he was taken care of. Yeah. So think about this: Is his life better now because you made those sacrifices? No doubt. Okay. Yep. He doesn't even remember the first four years. Yep. So. Remember it. Yep. And he had his mom, and he had his big sister, and I knew my baby was taken care of. It wasn't me. Now there are some people out there that that would horrify that they would miss the four first four years of their kid's life and never get it back. That wouldn't be an acceptable loss to them. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. I think where we get into the muddy waters is where we start to say, well, that shouldn't be an acceptable loss for you, Dave. Like you're right. a terrible person. Or right. Carla, because it wasn't it wasn't by accident. I mean, we had the conversations. We were like, yeah. we knew what we were doing. We knew the sacrifices we were making to hopefully get to what I call the other side of the rainbow, where our kids wouldn't have a life that they wouldn't have otherwise had. Because I know you mentioned that you do like coaching and consulting and things like mm-hmm. that. And I want to throw in that category of we do that stuff too now. And a part of why we have this podcast is so that we don't, you know, meaning me and Carla and you as well, Patch, is we're not just talking to our children. We're not just showing examples of that is by us having this conversation, people can sit back and listen and maybe listen more than once and take notes and process information and start to look at things through a little little bit different lens. And maybe they're not my kids and your kids, but they can still get those life lessons. And because I always come full circle back to that's why I believed I could do it, despite everybody in my life telling me I couldn't, my family, my friends, is because all I had to do was read a few books. You know, podcasts weren't a thing when I was a kid, but magazines and trade journals, I think they called them back then and stuff like that. Um, You know, I would read these different examples of people that had done it and they weren't maybe sharing their story and their thing in the same context as we are today. But I think that's where a lot of value comes into like coaching and consulting and mentoring and all those different things is we can help people accelerate the process. I always tell my coaching clients, if I'm not doing one of two things or both, then I failed you. One of them is helping you get somewhere that you couldn't gotten couldn't have gotten by yourself. Yeah. And the other one is helping you get somewhere that you could have gotten by yourself, but helping you get there much faster. That's exactly yeah. right. And ideally, yeah. I'd like to do both. So what has your experience been with your like your consulting and coaching business as you lead entrepreneurs in that way? Yeah, I, I think the number one thing is other than mindset, because I hate using the word mindset because it's so overused now for mm-hmm. things that are just generic in nature. But um, I always tell people, okay, so let's let's just assume that money was not a, a thing for you, right? You won the lottery, you have endless amounts of money. If that were to happen, what business would you set up? And they would tell me and I say, okay, now what if I took the amount of money that it would take and that was the number that you won on the lottery? Let's figure out how much that would be. 
a million bucks. Okay, for a million bucks, you would have set up this, this company. Let's 10X that. Let's 10X whatever your, your biggest goal is. What would you need to do? Almost always, the amount of work to do that second, the, that 10X thing is the same amount of time, the same amount of energy, the same amount of work. You're just focusing on different things. But it's the same investment of time. So if we're going to do the same investment of time, why don't we work on Go this bigger. up here? Wow. And, uh, you know, if you start thinking bigger, you start achieving bigger with the same amount of effort, the same amount of input. Does that mean that you can do it tomorrow? Maybe not. There's another article I wrote called Second Shift Suck, which is don't quit your day job. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot run a business. I'm, I'm telling you this. I, I know because I've seen so many people do it or try to do it. You cannot run a business when you're making decisions, business decisions based off of trying to keep the lights on or the mm. rent paid, right? Because you're taking the wrong clients. You're taking the get rich quick things. You're taking all that because you can't, you can't, you need that thousand dollars at the end of the month. And you're willing to take way more risks because you're coming from a place of weakness financially. And that look, we've all been there. We've all been there. Here's a better way. Do that second shift thing, right? Work your seven to three or nine to five or whatever. Go home, take a break, have a, you know dinner with the kids, whatever, and go back to work until two in the morning and give up that sleep time and do it in short sprints, right? Do it for three weeks at a time. Take a week off, get rested back up, do another 21-day sprint. Like do those kinds of things so that you can get a little bit of a nest egg, a little bit of money saved up so that when you use that money to build the business and when that business is sustainable to where you can leave your first shift job, right? Then just like you did, now you don't have to worry about your family sacrificing. Mm-hmm. But just think about that. Nothing was going to hold you back. That internal drive what people need to find that. Mm-hmm. You also said one other thing, um, which is people just dip their toes in and we kind of breeze through that. Mm-hmm. But if you go all in every night and every weekend on a thing, it will work. Mm-hmm. It will Agreed. work. You will figure out how to do it. Now you can't be busy being busy. Mm-hmm. You have to try to be efficient at being effective, mm-hmm. right? Just, just be efficient. Fantastic points only working on the things that are going to truly drive the business. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that will get on phone calls every single day and they, they fill out their Calendly thing and they've got meeting after meeting after meeting. I, I'd start telling them to do this. Every single meeting that you had last week, go back and edit the title. Don't delete it. Edit the title and put a dollar figure to the amount of money made on each one of your calendars things. And very quickly, you'll, you will realize that you spent a half an hour here and an hour there and two hours here and three hours there and six hours there making no money, getting no forward progress in your business. Now, eliminate all those things from your calendar and only do the things that you can assign dollars to. And holy cow, very quickly. Productivity. You're getting way more productive. You're getting mm-hmm. way more of the things accomplished that you need in order to be, you know, further away from working your day job and more working on the things that are, are creating real money in your, in your life. Yeah, man. Wow. I, I knew we were going to have a great, uh, great time chatting with you, Patch. And uh, this was just packed full of so much, so much information that frankly, on this show, we don't talk enough about. We hit on little things. I don't know that we've sent, spent a whole episode just kind of hammering away at a lot of these different things. So, you know, for me and Carla, once again, thank you for your service, but thank you for joining us today. Thank you for bringing all this value and wisdom uh, to, to our audience. Um, Cause once again, our audience is primarily small business owners. Mm-hmm. Definitely a large portion of them are either in the laundromat industry or interested in the industry. But we're attracting people from outside the industry every day that are just small business owners and entrepreneurs in their own way. Uh, but this this was fantastic, and uh, I can't thank you enough. Listen, before we let you go today, we're going to do the stereotypical. How can people reach you? How can yeah. people get a hold of you? Because I talked about your your website, and you've talked about being active on LinkedIn and things like yeah. that. How can people reach you? 
LinkedIn, LinkedIn is the best way to get a hold of me. It's just okay. Pat Baker on LinkedIn, and you can read my story at patchbaker.com. But uh, I, before you before you get off here, I want to I want to give a shout out to to you too. I, I am when I so we met through social media. We, mm-hmm. we met. Um, I one of my buddies uh, commented on something, or somehow you ended up on my feed, and um, I just dug in for whatever reason. I, I, I like the the things that you were talking about, and I think you just really resonate with people, and I I. I love that you're doing this show because I think there are a lot of people out there that feel for whatever reason they have, um, you know, a harder time than other people. Um, I think a lot of times that's an excuse um, where if you allow it to to hold you down, it will. But if you don't even play into it and I think you're like uh, in, in a weird way, I think like you're this awesome super underdog that turned into the big dog in, in a way. <laughs> And um, I really appreciate you sharing your story. I mean, I, I know with your book, you you talked a lot about, um, you know, you didn't have everything coming into this. Mm. And that's, you know, so you created it. You mm. did exactly what everybody says you're not supposed to be able to do. Mm. You were able to create your own success from a platform that would typically be several steps behind other people in normal life. And I think that is so awesome of you. And there's a there's a piece of that that I'm sure is emotional, uh, emotional for you. Um, but you've been so um, I don't know, kind to share your story and do shows like this and write your books and have your little get togethers that other people and and I know you give up a lot of your free time too, helping other people that that are not paying paying sometimes and and you do a lot of volunteer work. So just big shout out to you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, that means a lot. I'm glad that res- that is resonating in that way because a lot of what you said is true. Um, I, I I couldn't help a few years ago, but just to figure out like I have this, you know, not everybody, but I have a unique story in the sense of came from poverty and figured out a way and everybody told me I couldn't and I didn't really have a lot of advantages. And I was just like, you know, the 10 year old version of Dave Menz needs to hear this. That's true. And, uh, and, and, you know, those people are sometimes 70 years old and a woman. <laughs> so it's not just little kids. It's just anybody that needs to hear it. And we just so happen to be living in a time where we can jump on the Internet through a computer with a couple microphones and uh, and yeah. share stories with each other. But, you know, this show wouldn't exist without awesome guests like you. I mean, I can only say so many things the same way. Yeah. so many times. Um, so anyways, thank you for your kind words. Once again, you thank you for your service. Really appreciate you. Everyone, for Dave Men's in Cincinnati, Ohio, with my beautiful wife, Carla, and our new friend, Patch Baker, uh, we appreciate you joining us here today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. We'll see you all next time for another episode of the Laundromat Millionaire Show. Take care, everyone. <laughs> This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.